Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. Welcome to you. I'm delighted you are with me. We are in the book of Romans, and we are continuing making progress through Romans chapter 11. And all of Romans is so critical that we want to give it due diligence. We want to do it justice. So we're taking our time through this, and I do believe that we should complete chapter 11 probably in another episode or two, I'm thinking at this time. So as we make progress, I pray the Lord is speaking to you and that this book is opening up and becoming richer to you and that God is blessing you through these episodes as we dig into Paul's great treatise on the gospel. So I want to begin today by doing a brief review for the first little bit because I want us to understand the completion of where we are in this portion of Romans because now Paul is going to start really moving us from the present to the future, especially in terms of God's future for Israel and the opportunities and possibilities that are available. So I want us to do a quick review. In Romans, remember this is Paul's great treatise on the gospel, chapters 1 through 5. He established that everybody, Jew, Gentile alike, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, no matter where you live, everybody is a sinner and needs salvation. And there's only one way and one person that provides that salvation. And it comes through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and Him alone without any good or righteousness of our own. We are not justified by any works of righteousness of our own, any works of the law, but purely by faith alone in Him. And when we put our faith and our, our trust eternally and exclusively in Jesus Christ and His finished work, and we truly believe that His blood is enough to pay the death sentence for our sins, then we are justified by God, declared as righteous before a holy God. And then, chapters 6 through 8, Paul tells us how that applies to our life from that point forward until we are in glory with Him, and how we're to live, how it changes us, and it's done through the power of the Holy Spirit, not of our own doing and not of our own will. And then in chapters 9 through 11, which is where we are now and almost to the completion of this section, Paul is dealing with God, the church, and Israel. And particularly, he's focusing on the Jewish people. So he speaks in chapter 9 primarily about Israel's main problem, even from the ancient past, being disobedience and unbelief. He takes us all the way back to when Moses tried to get them to go into the promised land and they refused to go in because of unbelief. And so they had to wander around in the wilderness until all of that generation died off and their children were the ones that inherited the land. So he takes us in chapter 9 primarily to Israel's main problem has always been unbelief. And so he shows us that in their past. Then in chapter 10, 
He discusses primarily their present condition, but also their present hope that they can be saved and delivered from their current bad spiritual status. And so he continues that for their present to their future in chapter 11. And that's where we are now. Now notice, he gives us the hope that the Jewish people can still believe. They do not have to remain in their past state of unbelief. And here he gives us him as living proof. And he expresses for us here in this chapter, chapter 11, that he is living proof that the Jews can receive Jesus, believe in him, and become born again. He speaks of their current status of blindness being because of their unbelief and their rejection. And he also gives them the hope that their current status does not have to be permanent. But in their current status, the Gentiles now have been brought to salvation and the church composed of the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles form the one body and the church is now designed and used as an instrument of God to provoke or stimulate the Jewish people to jealousy, to emulation. In other words, to invite them and include them to also believe and become part of this great church. And when the Jews get saved, Paul makes it clear that the blessings are even greater to the entire world. It brings great riches to all the world. Paul says even life from the dead. So then he begins in verse 16 and, and on into what we're going to talk about today using this imagery of an olive tree. And he speaks of the root of the olive tree, and that represents Jesus, the word, the son of promise, the promises of God in the Lord and the Lord himself. It represents him. And he speaks of the root of this olive tree, also representative of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, the founders of the faith, and those who were entered into covenant with God by faith and faith alone. If you'll remember, Paul has already quoted how Abraham was made righteous by faith. He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, we continue on with this imagery that Paul is giving us. And he says, even from Isaiah, there's a holy seed. Paul's called them now in a couple of places earlier, the remnant. And he's also called them the elect in verse 7. He's talking about the remnant, those Jewish people who do believe. He speaks of the lump and the branches being holy. And as long as they're attached to the root, they are holy, they are healthy, they are receiving what they need, and they are flourishing. So what's happened now in this passage, in this imagery? Let's consider it. 
He continues on with this tree. He speaks of the holy seed and the lump, as we mentioned. He speaks of the branches. If you'll remember, we looked in a couple of a couple of the episodes at John chapter 15. The branches represent those that are abiding in the vine and being fruitful. So the branches here that are good branches that have not been broken off are those who are the remnant believers, including the apostles and Paul and Barnabas and other ones that were part of the early church. But then he also gives us these branches that have been cut off. He starts talking about these branches that have been cut off. And these are representative of the Jews who did not believe. They were the ones that were the unfruitful branches because they did not believe. He speaks of the wild olive branches representing the Gentiles, those who were not God's people before, those who weren't even seeking after God, those that were foreign, foreign to God, really didn't care about God, really weren't after God, but God sought them, but God sent the gospel to them and saved them. And so he saved them in the same way as he saved the believing Jews. Peter's already confirmed that for us in Acts chapter 11 and in Acts chapter 15 when we read Peter's own words. And these wild olive branches that have believed in Jesus are now grafted in. And notice they are grafted into one tree. It's one tree. Verse 17. Notice that it says, and and we highlighted this yesterday, that they've been grafted in among them and with them. And as I mentioned yesterday, you may want to underline that. It is one tree. We are among the original branches that believe in Jesus. We are part of them, connected into the same tree. We are with them. Jesus is the tree. Jesus said, I am the vine. So we understand that it is one tree. Now, for today, I want to actually read this section to you before we move forward. So I want to begin the reading in verse 13. And Paul says this, For I speak to you Gentiles, Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, And you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them, became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, 
he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell, severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? And that's where I'd like to stop for today. That's through verse 24. So Paul here clearly identifies for us this olive tree makes very clear who are these branches he's talking about. You've got the faithful remnant branches still connected to the original cultivated olive tree. What does that mean? He's talking about the fact that they're the ones that had the original promise from God to begin with. They're the ones that had the word of God. They're the ones that had the promise of the Messiah. They were the cultivated olive tree. And so the remnant, the ones that had that holy seed, remained faithful to that, believed in Jesus, beginning with his disciples at first and then branching out and moving forward. And now Paul is including himself among that number when he's writing this and every other person since that time that is truly believing in Jesus Christ and is Jewish. That person, we call them now Messianic Jews or completed Jews, or like Marty Getz says, a Jew born anew. But they are among us and we are among them. And they were the original branches of the original cultivated olive tree. And we were considered, Gentiles were considered the wild olive branches. And yet God has grafted us in. So what we're talking about today is first and foremost, for those of us that are Gentiles that are grafted in, we must remember Paul's warning against any boasting or arrogance. We must remember that God is both good and he is also just. He has severity on any branches, Jew or Gentile, that need to be cut off and he will cut them off. And that's what Paul is warning there. And we looked at some of that in the last episode. So in verse 23 and 24, for today, we want to really look at the great hope and possibilities that exist for even the Jewish people who are the branches that were cut off, those branches that were cut off and that were put under this judgment of blindness that had to come to them for now. The branches that were broken off, those Jews who were currently now at the time of Paul's writing and since then that have been rejecting Jesus those branches that were in unbelief, those branches that were currently and are currently in blindness. What Paul is saying here is there's good news because they can be grafted in again. They can be regrafted. 
How is that done? We've looked at this a couple of times in the last episode. I want to read it one more time. And it is found in 2 Corinthians 3, 16. Nevertheless, when one, meaning anyone, turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When anyone turns to the Lord, Jew or Gentile, but in the context, it's really speaking of the Jewish people who've been under this blindness. And he says, if anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The blindness is removed. They do not have to continue in unbelief if they will turn to the Lord. And when that is done, the blindness is removed. The rhema word that has been sown in their heart produces faith for them to believe in Jesus and call upon his name for salvation. They then too are justified by faith, just like everyone else that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are grafted back in again. That's the great hope and possibility that Paul is speaking of here. Now, why is that true? I want to look at a couple of reasons. First of all, God is able. Paul says right here, God is able to graft them in again. What is he talking about there? Well, I want to take us back to the book of Zephaniah. It's an Old Testament prophet, Zephaniah. He was one among what the Jews might refer to as the book of the 12. There were 12 minor prophets, and he's one of those. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord your God in your midst. He is the mighty one. He is able to save. He is the mighty one. Jesus even made this comment in in a place in the Gospels where he said, anyone that comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Jesus receives all who will come to him, including those Gentiles like you and me that weren't even after him, but also including those among his people that rejected him, but now turn to the Lord and call upon him. I also want you to know that God is willing. They can be grafted in again because God is willing. I want to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack or tardy concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should turn to the Lord, that all should stop going the direction of sin that leads to destruction and death and turn around and turn to him in true, sincere, repentant faith. God's not willing that any perish. 
He doesn't want any to perish. That's what he's saying here. Some will, but it's because they refuse to take his warning. They refuse to hear his invitation. They refuse to answer his call and turn and call upon him for salvation. And those will perish, but it's of their own doing. But that's not God's desire. That's not God's intent. He makes it very clear. Even from all the way back to the promise in Genesis 12, 3 to Abraham, God's desire has always been that through the seed of promise that came from Abraham, Jesus, the Messiah, who Paul identified for us in Galatians chapter 3, that all the nations, all the families of the earth, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed in him through salvation. And that includes both Jews and Gentiles alike. And when we do, he grafts us all together into one olive tree. I want to lastly leave us with this, and this will be the bulk of our remaining time today. As I was preparing for this, I remembered this passage, and I believe it's very important that I share this. I believe this is on the heart of the Lord, and it may be just what some of you might need to hear. In Luke chapter 15, I want to read Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, There arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is 
found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We call this the prodigal son parable. Actually, Jesus said it was a certain man that had two sons. So in essence, it may not truly be a parable. He defined it as a certain man that had the two sons. Now, what Jesus is telling us through this story through this account that he is narrating to us is some things that we need to pay attention to that are very, very important. First of all, let's identify the players here. We have the Father who represents God the Father. We have an elder son and we have then a younger prodigal son. Now, the elder son and the prodigal son in relation to what we're talking about today, I want to point these out in this way, that the elder son could represent the church, which would include the remnant believing Jews and the saved believing Gentiles. And the prodigal son would represent, in the imagery as we associate it with Romans 11 here, the unbelieving Jews who were blinded and rejected God, and that that brought on this judgment of blindness upon them. Notice these players in this story that Jesus tells us. The Father, the Father to me, is what shines beautifully in this story in Luke chapter 15. Notice the Father was eager and Daily watching, daily watching. The father was eager. He missed that son. He longed to have that younger prodigal son back. He wanted him to be back in his home with him, back in safety. He didn't enjoy when the prodigal son was gone, even though the elder son was still there. Oh yes, the elder son was with him and the father was very delighted about that and very happy and very pleased with that. But his heart grieved because of the younger son that ran away and that was gone. The prodigal son was missed. The prodigal son was longed after. And the prodigal son was welcomed with open arms 
and fully restored when he came back home. And the father had to help the older son understand, don't be jealous, don't be upset, because I want all of my house to be full. I want all of my family to be at home. I love you, elder son, and I'm thankful you are here with me. But I also am so thankful that my younger son, who was in blindness, who was lost because he was groping in darkness, he couldn't see where he was going, he didn't understand, and now he's found. Now his eyes are opened. Now his deadness has become life. He's no longer dead, but now he's alive again. And that thrills the father's heart. So Paul has defined for us in Romans, the Gentiles, in a sense, representing those wild olive branches, miraculously grafted in, even though they were not naturally a part of God's family to begin with, even though they didn't have the understanding of God and the pursuit of God, perhaps, like the original tree did. So that's why he says it was contrary to nature. But how much better now and even more, even natural, that the Jews are also being grafted in again. Those that don't believe, grafted in again. Do you see, God wants everyone to believe in him. He wants everyone to come. It was never Jews only. It was only Jews first, as far as the gospel. He said, that he's not ashamed. Paul even said, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. It's always been God's desire. It's always been God's desire that all the families of the earth would be blessed and would come to know him. The Father wants his house full he wants all of his family at home. He wants everyone to come in. He's not willing that any should perish. And his heart grieves when he's rejected. Just like the father's heart grieved when the prodigal son was gone. He missed him. He longed for him. He was watching for him. And when he returned, he welcomed him. He became alive again. The prodigal son was now restored to life. He was found. Blindness was taken away. He was no longer groping in darkness and lost. The father is eagerly waiting and will welcome all who will come to him, both Jew and Gentile. And just like we saw in 2 Corinthians, when those branches, those Jewish people that were under that blindness and unbelief and had rejected Jesus, even to this very day, the call and the opportunity and the great hope and possibility right now is that they will hear the gospel of God and they will turn to the Lord that their blindness be removed, faith be aroused in their heart through the power of the word the rhema word that they have heard, and they will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
call upon his name and be saved. And when they do, God will justify them by faith and graft them in again to that original olive tree. That's what Paul is saying here. God wants everyone to come to him. And if you have left him, if you find yourself somewhere in this prodigal son story that Jesus has told us about, come home, repent, turn to him, call upon him, because the same father in that story that ran, had compassion, saw the prodigal running home, coming home, ran and kissed him, ran and fell upon him, ran and hugged him, that same father will give you such a welcome when you come back home. His arms are open wide, and the cross of Jesus Christ proves that. He wants you to come back. Will you come back to him today? Will you return to the Lord? Call upon him and be saved today. Jew or Gentile, because God is grafting us all into one rich, abiding, fruitful olive tree built upon the foundation and the root of Jesus Christ. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and that, Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.